So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. An absolute pleasure to have as a guest today, nutritional therapist uh, Camilla Gray. So Camilla recently spoke to our elite coaching clients to go through the ins and outs of gut health. And I've got the pleasure of having her on the podcast today to give you guys tons of knowledge to help you, not just in your fat loss journey, but in your overall health. So thank you so much for coming on to the show, Camilla. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. It was a pleasure to speak to your clients a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, so one of the interesting like topics we want to go into in really into depth today, which is something I think is massively overlooked, is like artificial sweeteners in food, because mm-hmm. that's what we obviously spoke about with the clients. Like this is something that I think is very much a grey area that people don't necessarily look into. And after our call, I'd be proud to say, I mean, I haven't had any Pepsi Maxes or Diet Cokes since. Amazing. So I'm proud of you. <laughs> so small <laughs> steps, people. Um, but well, why are there some reasons, and what should people really be looking out for in terms of from like a, a digestive? point of view of the the damage that these artificial sweeteners can do yeah do you know what it's just so unknown people don't really know about this you know the food industry wants to keep this under wraps so it's not something that's public knowledge it's you know there's lots of studies on it but it's not really out there um so yeah if you haven't this is the first time you've heard about it you know don't feel bad about that because you know I have done some some studies myself, looking into studies myself, but before, you know, just wasn't aware of it. So the reason why they're not helpful, um, the first one, the big one, is that because they're non-calorific, they are actually a hundred to a thousand times more sweeter than sugar. So even though they don't actually have any calories in them, they can actually make you crave so much more sugar and sugary things. Um, so you think you're doing yourself a favor having a diet Coke or, you know, sugar-free squash, but in the long run, you're actually going to be causing more harm than good. And so for somebody who doesn't actually know this, it's going to make you doubt your willpower. And it can also lead to people actually giving up on being good or thinking that they're a failure because they're still, you know, craving these sugary foods. Um, so we're like in the middle of obesity epidemic. So it's all over the news at, at the moment. Um, and we're actually being let down quite severely by our food system and diet drinks and you know sugar-free products may actually be one of the biggest drivers for weight gain. Um, and then secondly, artificial sweeteners have actually been shown in multiple studies to induce glucose intolerance. Um, so that's what we actually see in people who are pre-diabetic and diabetic. And it's where you've got too much sugar in your bloodstream and your body can't get rid of it. And if this becomes consistent, you will actually need medication like insulin to overcome it. Um, So basically, it can potentially lead to problems um, causing type 2 diabetes. And then thirdly, so it disturbs our gut microbiome quite severely and it reduces the diversity. So in our gut, we really want to have a broad array of different bacteria. Um, So basically the wider the array of bacteria the slimmer we will be and also the healthier we are so artificial sweeteners are actually reducing that gut bacterial diversity so that means we're going to have reduced health and potentially hindering our ability to maintain healthy weight Um, so i'll just talk you through a few of the worst offenders so by far the worst is aspartame and also sucralose, saccharin, but even stevia, which has um, been known as the healthy one, has actually been shown to cause weight gain in rats. Um, we know it's only a, a rat study, but it can be a good indicator into human, um, how, the, how the way we behave as well. 
think also one of the things, so with stevia, for example, it's got a very heavy laxative effect if people use mm-hmm. large quantities of it. Uh, as respect for that, I found that myself. So, like, I think that's yeah. one of the things, again, people don't necessarily look into the effects these have on like your digestion aside from the calories. Yeah, exactly. And also another one that does cause laxative effects is xylitol. And that has also been touted to be quite healthy. So basically any sweetener with ol on the end can be particularly bad for IBS. Um, So it's highly fermentable sugar. Uh, So lots of my clients react to chewing gum because of the fact it contains this sweetener. So yeah, it's really not good all round. You can see I've just given you four really good reasons not to have sweetener, artificial sweeteners in your diet. Um, so just having natural things as close to their natural state as possible. Um, so a bit of natural sugar now and again as a treat is going to be far better uh, for you than having sweeteners every day. And in terms of from like um, an inflammation point of view, uh, I know there's a huge amount of studies showing there's a huge effect with artificial sweeteners and inflammation. Um, yeah. which can have obviously a huge knock-on effect on like overall health as that's one of the key drivers I think if you really want to try and keep down some of CRP inflammation score mm-hmm. um, is that something you've seen with clients like nutritionally when you've, you've taken away these sort of sweeteners yeah massively and I mean just bloating in itself is inflammation so you know bloating is caused generally by stress and a food intolerance and inflammation and um, it's just where well, your stomach's blowing up and it's not good because it's also a trigger for weight gain as well so if you're struggling to lose weight <clears throat> then these issues are caused by inflammation so taking out these you know chemical additives and sh- uh, uh, artificial sweeteners can really help 100 percent so that's probably covered, I think, most of the ins and depths of ins and outs of sorry, artificial sweetness. I'm talking about like gut health overall, which is obviously a very popular topic at the moment. Like, mm-hmm. what does it actually mean to have a healthy gut? In, in, in paraphrased, yeah. So basically, having a healthy gut means having a broad array of bacteria in your gut. So having a low diversity means um, a, a poorer score of health, and also um, it's not just digestive issues; it's also kind of wide-ranging issues from autoimmune conditions to skin disorders and also mood as well. Um, so it really kind of affects you holistically, you as a person, by having a poor gut. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, lots of people do kind of get a bit confused by what gut health actually means. Um, so in a nutshell, it means just to have lots of different bacteria in your gut. And you can have tests to test that but the best thing to do is just to really have a broad array of plant-based foods in your diet okay you mentioned plant-based there do you find uh with people with too heavy like a, a protein or meat-based diet has a negative effect or would you suggest that a way to potentially mitigate that would be using a variety of different protein sources from animals and fish perhaps yeah definitely i don't think you know, having no protein or no meat products in your diet is good at all. I think it's good to have, you know, good, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, good sources of meat. So, you know, um, grass fed organic meat, wherever possible in smaller quantities. Um, and, and, you know, not just whacking great pieces of meat and you want to have, if you are having a um, large amount of protein in your diet, you want to match it with different plant uh, plant-based products as well to mitigate the kind of acidity from that as well with anyone who's got a very heavy meat-based diet would you ever then look into people using may more digestive enzymes in that respect to maybe help with yeah uh, i mean if you're talking about like a, a, a diet that's heavy in protein because of 
you know bodybuilding or um from that perspective then yeah there are things that can be helpful so kind of balancing the acidity is one of the things that you want to be doing um, so you can put in supplements for that for the acid base balance and then also if you're finding it hard to digest red meat because it's quite heavy then yeah things like um, looking at your stomach acidity and also digestive enzymes can be helpful too and from a practical point of view how would you assess your stomach acidity so we can assess that um, by doing something called the bicarb test. So you want to use a quarter of a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda in four ounces of cold water. And so you do that in the morning on an empty stomach and you uh, mix it together in the water and then you drink it. And then you should be burping within kind of a minute um, to have good amount of stomach acid if you don't have burp in you know five minutes and you will probably be wanting to supplement with hcl supplements cool. and is there anything from a, a natural side of things that you could add in to improve the stomach acidity yeah lots of things so um apple cider vinegar in the morning just mixed with some water um, you can take that before every meal actually and that will just boost your stomach acidity and then things um like watercress and uh, rocket those kind of things with your main meals can really help so if you have those as a little salad before you have your main meals that can also boost the stomach acidity cool. and, and there's some like very heavy links between gut and digestive issues alongside mental health i think that's something that's being looked into a lot more now like is there much of a link there yeah so 90 percent of our serotonin is actually manufactured in our gut so naturally if your gut is off key you're gonna feel that you know mentally as well but not only that our vagus nerve which is a huge network of neurons which connects our brain and our large intestine our colon um, so it's a highway of information and it's also two-way so that's contributing to um, also the mental health connection there as well so if you get that butterfly feeling when you're nervous that's a sure sign that you know they're linked um, but not only that as well, like the bacteria, they're looking at these studies at the moment, the bacteria in your gut can also communicate with your brain. But we don't actually know how that's you know, going about at the moment. We don't know how they're doing that, but we just know that some way there is that communication, which is really interesting and kind of mysterious as well. We don't know how that's actually going about. But I think in the future, we'll have much more information about the gut brain connection for sure. I think it's one of those things there's so many things in the human body that's still undiscovered that uh, it'd be fascinating to see maybe where we're at with everything maybe in 50 years time perhaps so yeah exactly i think we'll be living very differently um and like another thing is obviously a hot topic we cover some digestive enzymes like pre and probiotics like what, what's the difference in terms of the two of those and like what foods can we find these in these in naturally yeah, so if we start with prebiotics, so prebiotics are the food for the probiotics. So you think of the prebiotics as like the fertilizer. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily need to take a prebiotic supplement. So a lot of, um, well, all food and uh, fruit and veg, sorry, is containing prebiotics. There's ones that are better for you. So um, ones that contain inulin. So things like chicory, Jerusalem artichokes, green bananas, uh, onions, garlics and leeks. They're the best ones. But generally, all plant based foods will contain some kind of prebiotics. Um, some people who suffer with IBS um, and they do better on a low FODMAP diet. Those foods are high FODMAP. So it's kind of 
contraindicatory really because if you're if you've got IBS and you start taking prebiotic foods you may have some kind of issue um, so a, a low FODMAP diet might be really helpful for some uh, people with digestive issues so if you do start having loads of these um, products you know with prebiotics in such as you know onions garlics um, and you start getting really uncomfortable then it might be helpful for you to do that low FODMAP diet for a few weeks um, so the probiotics themselves, they're the live bacterial cultures. So they can either be found in probiotic supplements or they can be found in probiotic foods. So probiotic foods are things that are fermented. So things like miso, tempeh, kombucha, kefir, doza. Um, but the best thing is to make them yourself. Sauerkraut as well. Um, because if you buy them in the shops, um, things like kefir and kombucha are generally pasteurized. So it means that they've got rid of all the good bacteria. And there are also lots of sugar in there as well because they want them to taste good. Because kombucha and kefir, if you make them yourselves, they don't taste that sweet. <laughs> I was addicted to making kombucha and kefir for a long time, but it is quite hard work. So you have to keep on top of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely make them yourselves. Sauerkraut um, and fermented pickles, things like that are really easy to make. You get a jar from Holland and Barrett, a fermenting jar, and you just scrunch up some um, cabbage leaves with salt and then just chuck it in the jar and leave it for two weeks and you've got amazing sauerkraut after. It's only two weeks. Yeah, if you've got like a valve on it, so yeah. it has a um, one of those two-way valves, then two weeks, then you can start eating it. That's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you can mix those things in it, like juniper berries and whatever time of the year, use seasonal stuff to chuck in there. It's super good for you. Um, but probiotic supplements, there comes with a caveat because you want to have ones that you're um, taking that are suitable for your needs. There's no point in going to the shop and buying, you know, 50 billion acidophilus because we don't know what those strains are doing. So acidophilus is the genus of probiotics. So you want to go further down and look at the strain. So if you're suffering with, for instance, say um, IBS, you want to get lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM because that has brilliant research for helping with bloating and pain in IBS. And if you're suffering for uh, with, sorry, uh, vaginal health issues, you'd be looking at something like Aruteri GR1, um, or LA14. Um, and then if you are suffering with constipation, then you look at different strains, you get the gist. So you want to be doing the research on your product. So look at the back of your product. If it doesn't have the strain in it, I wouldn't take it because you want to know exactly what the strain is and what it's doing for you. So you wouldn't go out and buy a vitamin B product if you had a vitamin D deficiency. So the same applies with probiotics. Cool. Um, on to another topic. This is something that like, a lot of fitness trainers spout around um, and that's leaky gut that gets mentioned a lot like what exactly is that and how how can we go about fixing that and what, what causes it as well okay so leaky gut has been really sensationalized in the past few years so we all get leaky gut it's just a term for intestinal permeability but the problem lies is if the gut is permanently leaky so our intestinal wall is only one cell thick. So if it's constantly being barraged by nasty things like chemicals, foods that we're allergic to, um, stress, then it, can't, you know, it can cause it to be permanently leaky. And that, that can result in issues um, like autoimmune conditions, 
um, and other things that are really not good. So we want to have our gut as most sealed as possible. So the things that cause it, so like I said, just food intolerances, also stress. So we've actually um, seen now that arguments, so an argument with a partner can leave your gut leaky for two days and also cause extreme bloating which is just crazy. That blows my mind how that actually is related, but it is. So that's a real big one, stress. Um, So exercise as well, intense exercise, especially if you're doing it in the heat. Um, And if you're doing long sustained periods of exercise, like Ironman, triathlons, marathons, that's also another big trigger for a leaky gut. So the foods that can heal um, a leaky gut are things like um, colostrum, so that's a supplement which is actually from um, a cow or goat and it's the first part of breast milk and that what that does it's a a trigger to our gut to seal itself um the best way to take it is orally because we need amylase from our mouth which is saliva in our mouth to um, activate the colostrum so if you buy a colostrum supplement make sure it's powder form or if you have capsules then open them up and empty them into your mouth and other good things are bone broth that has lots of nutrients like glutamine to help heal the gut. And then other things just like wild uh, fish. So lots of good fats and turmeric, which is anti-inflammatory and then eating a really nice organic diet too. Would you, is there any like trigger signs that you might have a leaky gut or something you should be aware of? So autoimmune conditions, digestive issues, um, IBS bloating, brain fog, anything like that. Okay, so today here's an example. For example, on Saturday night, we had a team meal out with all the coaches who worked with me. I went to an American restaurant, we ate loads of junk food, and I felt horrendous the next day with brain fog. Is that a sign of leaky gut when you wake up the next day and you're like, your head's like, I felt I couldn't put two and two together? Were you drinking alcohol? No. Um, Yeah, it can be. It might have, do you, you could potentially have a food intolerance if you're having a, a brain fog as well. So things like wheat can cause brain fog. So you could potentially have a slight intolerance to wheat. Okay, that's interesting. Is there any link between um, sweeteners and leaky gut? Um, I don't think directly, but I think if you're disturbing the balance and you're causing inflammation, then it's going to eventually lead to leaky gut. So I would say that, you know, even though I haven't actually looked directly at the studies, but I would say that it's probably a definite link. Um, you just uh, make an assumption. Yeah. Like that's, and do you think again, this could be triggered again, leaky gut, but maybe even like overconsumption of certain macronutrients. If someone says on a very high protein diet, a very high carbohydrate diet, again, if there's too much, is that causing an issue and would you recommend things like fasting that help with healing the gut at all yeah so definitely fasting helps there's um a few reasons why people shouldn't fast so if they haven't um or if they've been eating a lot of sugary foods and they have a dysregulated blood sugar balance they shouldn't really fast um, until they've got their blood sugar balance sorted and for women as well it can be quite disruptive with hormones but generally fasting is a really good way of resetting digestion and helping with leaky gut so you could either just do 12 hours overnight fast it's very gentle fast um but sometimes in specific cases fasting doing the the, um 16-8 can be really really helpful for ibs patients sure i have to say like a few times I've been traveling, I've done longer fasts of like 30 hours. And that's like mm. the best my digestion's ever felt is after yeah. that. Yeah, it's like a total reset. So I think doing that 
you know, once every couple of months is going to be really helpful, especially if you're training a lot. Yeah, I think the problem is I'm too greedy. If I'm at home, I find it difficult to do. If I'm traveling and I'm on planes and things, it's easy just to be like, I won't eat. Yeah, definitely, because plane food is just so horrendous anyway. No one ever wants to eat on a plane. So it's, I find it really easy to fast on planes. But the same, if you're working from home, it can be really difficult to avoid the fridge. Yeah, 100%. I think that's one of the issues people have had during lockdown, to be fair, as well. So yeah, I agree. I think it's been one of the main, main, main complaints I've had. Um, obviously, like similar to leaky gut, another big issue people have is IBS. Like, is there certain things that like trigger that or that people should be aware of or some, like signs they might have IBS that they're not sure of? So IBS is something that's diagnosed by your doctor and it's based on meeting certain criteria. So if you think that you have IBS, then I would definitely get that checked out because it's best to rule out any other digestive issues um, and make sure it's not being caused by anything else a bit more sinister. So you want to rule out IBD, for instance. Um, but IBS will be diagnosed if pain or discomfort, uh, discomfort is felt for three months um, or more and it's alleviated by defecation and it will also be accompanied by stool irregularity. So there's three main types of IBS. So you have IBSD, which is diarrhea predominant, IBSC, which is constipation dominant or IBSA or M, which is alternating or mixed. But so many factors in modern day life can actually give us uh, digestive issues. So it's really hard to differentiate from the both. Um, and also, you know, so many things now in our environment can trigger digestive issues. Right. So stress, food, medication, chemicals. Um, so one in three people actually have some kind of digestive issue in the UK. So it's you know, on the rise for sure. Has there ever been any studies that have interest to the effects of like external pollution on gut health? So like, say, air pollution in London or say, I mean, somewhere like Hong Kong, for example, where it's super polluted. Has there has been any links with that? Not that I'm aware of, but I think that it is something that could be... Logically, yeah. Yeah, logically related. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I might actually have a look after this to see if there has actually been any recent studies, but not in, since I've been looking in the last year or so. And similar in terms of other toxins, uh, alcohol and smoking, like what's the, what's the effects with that with gut health and digestion? So smoking in general, obviously, is not good. Don't, you don't need me to say that, but it can also produce a lot more stomach acidity, which isn't good. Um, and it's just stress on the body. It can also help, um, help also hinder our um, absorption of vitamin c so it depletes vitamin c and also stops the absorption of other vitamins and minerals too and um, so that's obviously not going to be very good on, on our gut health 100 and, and for alcohol like is there a difference in terms of if people have say for example spirits so like i don't obviously i don't really drink and i don't really recommend people do drink but people like to drink so that's cool but yeah. i would recommend uh, <laughs> like to most of the time, from like a diet point of view that they go for like a a spirit would say for example quote unquote don't be angry but a diet <laughs> diet mixer because the calorie content's the lowest like is there any okay uh, i hope now that you won't be doing that anymore charlie i think that you know now that not to, not to recommend it, the diet like, vodka and soda water there you go um, yeah vodka soda water <laughs> like, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of like what's the optimal thing from digestive health for people to be drinking if they have to drink the best thing for um, gut health and digestive health is red wine or just health in general. So, yeah, red wine, like, you know, no one likes to be told they can't drink, me included. And, you know, red wine actually has some pretty good evidence to say that it, in moderation, 
it is good for you. Um, so it has something called polyphenols in, which can also help, um, they're antioxidant rich, and also help with our gut um, microbiome by keeping the bad bacteria in check, like E. coli, for instance. Um, so a moderate amount of um, red wine actually can be quite helpful for us. So they actually did a study on the twins study. I don't know if you've heard of that by Dr. Tim Spector. So they did a study of alcohol and um, what's the best alcohol. Um, so they actually showed that red wine increased diversity in the gut, but no other alcoholic beverage did, unfortunately. That's fascinating. It is fascinating because it's just showing that red wine, it's the grape skin of the red wine is actually so potent. Um, but unfortunately, white wine doesn't have the same effect. So, or rosé, <laughs> or rosé, yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, red wine all the way. It's, um, like, I almost like start to categorise that um, alongside like olive oil. It's like a superfood in itself, almost. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. I think you know it comes with a caveat. It's got to be you know organic. It has to be good quality, and you don't want to be knocking it back. You know, you want to have like <laughs> one or two good glasses. You know, good quality glasses <laughs> a week is fine. <laughs> Not a bucket of wine. Uh, I think that's where most people go along it wrong. I think it's the, the volume, but um, like. Well, come on to something else obviously red wine helps with is obviously stress um like stress and digestion i know has, has a lot of like interlinks together by the way the nervous system works mm -hmm. um is there any like methods you can people can use practically to try and help control this when they get particularly stressed or anything you should be aware of yeah i mean you know we have been in a stress pandemic for the last few years and i think that hopefully with this new relaxed pace of life for most of us you know working from home doing more self-care we will have a lot of positives to take away from the coronavirus i think people are doing more um, relaxing therapies like meditation for instance um, even just 10 minutes a day has been proved to reduce ibs symptom scores um, you know which is just huge because you know who would have thought that it's just amazing uh, just 10 minutes a day it doesn't even have to be um, a sustained practice it can be just 10 minutes a day for a week and it can have that benefit and then things just like deep breathing um, so box breath box breathing and pranayama if you're into um, yoga those things are really helpful too to help de-stress us uh, but also things like walking in nature as well um, you know just taking walks in parks and also by the sea so there's things called fractoids in nature which are the shapes of the leaves and also the waves of the ocean and they have a direct calming effect on the nervous system so um, it's fascinating i think how the two most basic functions of the human body breathing and walking have the biggest effect on calming the body down yeah, exactly. It's just going back to basics, isn't it? Our, we're fundamentally just wanting to go back to how we used to live years ago. It's just, you know, well, that's what we're meant to be doing. We're not meant to be sat indoors at a computer for 12 hours a day. We're meant to be outside in nature, breathing deep and enjoying the scenery. 100%. And there's a lot of research as well to show that like bilateral movement, even to people who are working all day, like even going for a short walk for 20 minutes, that bilateral move movement is really good to get your brain stimulated by using different sides of your body so um, amazing mm. just from like stress point of view um so start to just like wrap things up uh, a little bit like what what are sort of two pieces of material or like books or anything like that you would recommend for people to delve into if they want to go a little bit deeper or anything here Kimona? 
Yeah, I mean, so the thing that got me massively into gut health was a book by a lovely German doctor called Julia Enders. And the book is called Gut. So quite easy to remember. Um, it's quite old now, but it's still really ve- uh, relevant. And it absolutely blew my mind when I first read it. So when I was cabin crew 10 years ago and I was reading it for the first time, it just opened my eyes to how important the gut is and how you know wide reaching it is on us. Um, you know holistically and our health in general so I definitely recommend that one Um, and then second of all if um, anyone's interested in finding out more about probiotics and you know the gut-brain connection and and lots of other um, you know interesting topics then I'd really recommend the OptiVac Probiotics Learning Lab which is a website full of resources. Cool interesting enough you mentioned obviously used to be an air stewardess like you get a huge amount of radiation for being in the plane. Mm -hmm which people don't talk about and like my, <laughs> no one talks about that like that's like the thing that people don't want to talk about and i know say for example myself whenever i fly i get like it tends to get bad digestion a bad stomach which i think is triggered by that has there yeah. ever been any studies into that at all do you know what they just want to keep it under wraps don't they so it's like, absolutely not talked about at all but it is worrying. Like for me as a woman, like I worry about my fertility, you know, when I want to have babies, has it affected, you know, my ability to do, to do that. So, you know, it's something that's really, really not, not discussed at all. When I joined, no one ever spoke about it. No one ever really spoke about it when I was there to be honest, to be honest. It's only, you know, when I left, I did my own research. I found out how bad it actually is. Yeah. Like the radiation scores off the charts. And that's why I like, there's quite a lot of, I'm not sure what companies they are, but I've seen a few, I spoke about with uh, Chris Gethin on a podcast before about this. Um, he has like, like radiation with blankets when he's on the plane to try and like, mitigate the amount of radiation he's taking in. Um, That's amazing. Which I thought was quite cool in terms of biohacking. But again, like this is almost one of those dirty secrets that no one wants to talk about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 100% not discussed at all. Um, and to be honest, I'm a little bit scared to um, to find out what damage has been done to my own body. But, you know, nine years, it's quite a long time up there, very close to the sun. Yeah, the, uh, the human body heals very quickly, though, so it's an incredible machine, so I wouldn't be too concerned. That with your, yeah. your knowledge as well of health, wow. I don't think it will help. Thank you. Hopefully these five years have made up. Right, <laughs> <laughs> can try. And um, for anyone to find out a little bit more about you, where's the best place to go? Like courses information about you or any other sort of bits and pieces you can do yeah so you can just find me on social media so i'm at camilla gray nutrition on instagram and on facebook and i'm happy to answer any questions anyone has so just drop me a line and i'll happily get back to you awesome awesome um thank you so much for your time camilla uh, for anyone listening who wants any help with that obviously reach out to her directly in terms of anyone looking to get a shape for summer now the gyms are open again at last uh, we have got the uh, Shred Nate and Sculpt Nate program still 77% off, so only £37 a month. And we also have a few direct one-to-one coaching spaces available with myself and the team. So both those links are below for the podcast if you want to check those out. Really look forward to everyone's feedback on this episode. Please uh, get in touch with Camilla with any questions directly or myself. And we'll have plenty more exciting guests coming up. So thank you so much.